Hey everybody, welcome to episode 76 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Miracatani. I'm Andy Hamilton, coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in downtown Waterloo. Joined on the phone from St. Louis by the savvy guru, David Miracatani. David, how's everything going today? It's 70 degrees here. It's beautiful. I went to the Cardinal game yesterday, left that snow in Iowa. I'm doing great, man. How are you? Doing well. Hey, it's awesome up here today, too. Weather's great. Nice. Uh, had winter hanging on way, way, way too long here. But uh, <laughs> sounds like maybe we got some more of it coming this weekend. But uh, you know what? We've had uh, wrestling season extended for quite a while. So it was. It certainly had a wrestling season feel to it at the World Cup in Iowa City over the weekend. Fun tournament, David. I. I was super hyped going into it, and it was as much fun as I hoped it would be. Really, it was fun working with you and Wild Bill and everybody else there at track, and just really fun. And it's fun kind of catching those guys as they come off the mat, and you know, you try to ask maybe you know something different than the same five or six questions, but there was a real sense of camaraderie that those guys were really actually rooting for each other. Um, it was cool to watch guys that are traditionally booed in that arena for good reason. Obviously, you know, they root for the, you know, their team and against guys, but that, you know, not only was that sort of set aside with polite applause, but the opposite where guys like David Taylor and people like that, you know, who have sort of been Hawkeye killers have, they got all kinds of love this weekend and deservedly. So, so super yeah, cool. absolutely. Kyle Dake gained a lot of fans in Iowa city. Over the weekend, it was it was incredible to watch the ovation that he got uh, from the time. Like it built every time he stepped on the mat, it got louder and louder and louder. And uh, yeah, you know the the moment that uh, you know David Taylor in that duel against Azerbaijan gets the the takedown and turn in the closing seconds to get that tech and place. You know he he's leading the USA chance, and uh, that was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool. It moment. was the first question I asked him. I said, you know, you get you got a chance to do something besides, you know, winning an Olympic gold medal that all of us who've ever stepped on the mat have wanted to do, which is like start a USA chant and people actually follow you. I said, you know, what was that like? And, you know, he gave an obviously really cool answer. So, yeah, it's it. That team's really impressive. You know, I, it's, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a coach by nature, some sort of glass half empty. When I look at stuff, I mean, you know, they, they won the world last year and they won it, you know, against everybody, nobody was missing, but they won it by one match. So yeah. it's good. They're going to have to be really good to win it. Like that's just the reality. So um, I do think the additional weight, you know, the problem is it, it, it's very obvious to, to me that it helps the U S because it gets really good guys in, but I'm guessing a few of these other countries probably have some pretty good guys too, that, you know, weigh these different weight classes. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, uh, you know, so many factors in play, right? I mean, who does Russia bring, you know, we, they've got so many options year after year after year. And, uh, you know, it, it's always fascinating to me to watch their process, their selection process and how it plays out and, and how they determine, you know, what they're, what they're going to do at certain weights, um, you know, because uh, 
sometimes what what may seem like the best option for them also uh, is a guy that matches up pretty well for other people, right? Uh, yeah. You know, so may, maybe the uh, the easiest out um, of a two or three man selection process uh, isn't the guy who who wins their uh, or, or or is the guy that that wins their uh, the Russian Nationals wins wins uh, the roster spot. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be something to watch. I think uh, what will also be fascinating is just see how long this this two day weigh in format stays into place. The day of weigh in. Uh, if if that has staying power uh, throughout this uh, this process in 2017, or or if um, we see it go by the wayside before we even get to Budapest, because that uh, that will certainly factor into how um, so they pick, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it, it it will be a factor, and so will you know we saw the other day, you know, the two kilos allowance for World Cup, you know what. Uh, what does that do for a, a guy like, you know, let's say Kendrick Maple, for example, guy that's uh, seems to be a pretty big 61 kilo guy. Um, how, how does that affect him? How does that affect some guys uh, in, in where they go weight class wise? Um, there's, there's some variables still in play, David, but uh, yeah, one of the Are things hearing that that might happen. Well, um, you know, we've seen it in international wrestling, right? I mean, you know, nothing is written in permanent ink as far as I'm concerned. You know, we've right. seen we've seen rules change. Uh it seems like Greco rules change like, you know, almost daily. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, every the, fifteen the, minutes, the, right? Stuff yeah. the, you know, stuff can come down to, right to the wire and, and and the rules get changed. So so I, I, I wouldn't assume that it, anything is you know, just because uh, it's it's in play right now, I wouldn't assume that it's you know in concrete for Budapest. So we'll see. Um, the interesting thing about that, specifically tied to like a maple, is if they change that, you, you could see a Logan Steber going back down. Yeah, because that was one of the reasons he moved up. You know, so it, it doesn't just change the the foreign or the other countries' lineups. It could very well change ours. You know, at least one spot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's super interesting. Yeah. What does a guy like Haji Aliyev do? Does he stay at 65? Does he go back to 61? He wrestled at 65 for the World Cup, you know, a year ago. Uh, took a couple losses over the weekend in Iowa City. Uh, won two Steber in a you know fantastic match on Sunday. Uh, does right. he does he go back down to 61 where he's won you know three of the last four world titles? You know, the only only one he didn't was when he was at, you know made the cut to fifty seven for the Olympics, and that was the year Steber won uh, the non Olympic World Championship. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a storyline to follow throughout uh, the next few months. Uh, you know, United States wrestled, I would say, pretty well. I think there's room for uh, you know for improvement, though. I mean, thirty one and nine in matches, David. That could have been thirty seven and three, thirty eight and two, for pretty easily. Uh, you, you look at, uh, they lost six matches by a combined three points, all three matches that were determined on criteria, the United States lost. I think they can do a better job of closing out matches. Thomas Gilman was leading a couple with, uh, inside and 90 seconds to go and, uh, got countered, uh, against Yuki Takahashi of, uh, Japan got countered a couple times in that match in the rematch of the world championship, 
on Saturday, and then against Georgi Edrishvili of Azerbaijan, uh, you know, got head pinched a couple times there, uh, gave up points that uh, really made made it an uphill climb for him there in the end. But uh, you know, Maple, as as you pointed out, Maple, um, you pointed this out on press row. Maple was five seconds away from being three three and zero on the weekend. Instead, he was one and two. So uh, uh, yeah. Indeed, yeah. there are there are some things that uh, the U.S. can clean up there, and uh, you know certainly there are going to be some other guys in the mix, right? I mean, we didn't get to see Daringer at 79 kilos over the weekend. We, you know, Zane Rutherford wasn't on the roster. You know, there are going to be some other guys that uh, are in contention for lineup spots as well. So, uh, so yeah, Nick Heflin, I think, is yeah. lined up at 92. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's had a really good last couple months. A really uh, good freestyler too, right? Yeah, for sure. He's doing. Yeah, they're doing a great job down there. Yeah, um, you're, yeah, thirty-one and nine, and you know, people may people may not understand this, but like generally, like right after the matches, the winners walk over and they get interviewed. And uh, Gilman ran off after the the first match with uh, in the Japanese duel. He came back afterwards, and you know, the thing that strikes me about him in both the matches he lost is his style kind of feeds into those guys. Like those guys are counter punchers and he's a puncher. And um, I mean, I'm sure the, the brands and, and Mark Perry will work with him on that, but I think he can afford to be a little more selective in his attacks with those guys and really try to shoot to finishing positions more just because they're not, they're not high volume attackers. So he doesn't really need to worry about their pressure in terms of volume. So it'll be interesting to see what adjustments they make. And, you know, obviously the other countries are going to make, you know, Japan and Azerbaijan are going to make adjustments too. Um, It was interesting because Gilman goes, you know, there's no such thing as a moral victory, but I do feel like I've gotten closer. And, you know, I've never heard him say anything like that in his life. So, um I don't know if that's maturity or a different perspective or what it is, but it's certainly different. I would say that for sure. Well, he's a, he's a glass half full type of guy, maybe glass three quarters full glass, always full type of guy, uh, believes in himself a lot and, and is always seems to be building towards the positive. And I think, uh, you're looking at things from a Gilman standpoint, uh, you know, he has repeatedly been able to get to the legs on the best guys in the world. Uh, so that hasn't been a problem. And he has right. repeatedly been able to keep them off his legs. So that's not a problem. It's what you mentioned. It's finishing. It's, it's uh, you know, getting maybe a little bit better set up to where he can get uh, in on maybe a, a little bit uh, in a little bit deeper on the shot, a crisper shot. It's a crisper finish. It's, you know, all of the above, if if he can make those adjustments, um, you know, he's as good as anybody in the world. Yeah, it, it's certainly interesting. And he's, uh, you know, th- he's in a room that's had a lot of historical success, you know, at all weights, but especially with the lower weights. So um, I'm sure they'll make adjustments. It's just interesting to, you know, to watch, so. Um, I think it's going to be really cool to kind of see, um, you know, these coaches work with them. You know, they, a lot of the guys talked about how cool the training camp was, you know, that sort of thing. And I think it's in, it must be interesting. You know, you got to see this at, at training camp last year. 
where these guys sort of share secrets and the laundry they wear during the season goes away. It was really cool. I was sitting with Joe Russell and uh, Mark Manning, and they were watching the end of the Aliyev Steber match. And Mark Manning is doing his best to coach Logan Steber from about 200 feet away. You know, so it was kind of cool to watch him like get animated and, you know, and, and Joe's going crazy. It's just, it's cool to watch the, uh, the support, the patriotism, the camaraderie, the teamwork, whatever the right word you want to use there. But it, it was definitely a neat thing to see for sure. what do you think of the event as a whole? I, I, I was really impressed. Um, you know, a lot of people that I know were involved, you know, Dorothy Maya, but you know, Jason Bryant, um, you know, a lot of photographers I know it, it, you know, as a guy that's usually at events, you know, on one side of it, and you know, now I'm getting more and more on the other side of it. It was really well run. Uh, people in Iowa are really friendly. You know, I went to college in Iowa and you kind of forget about that. And maybe it's just cause I'm in a big city and a lot of people here don't, they're not very nice people, but, um, you know, but the people there were really friendly, like the security people when we were working out in the morning and just all that stuff, you know, like the guy that made sure, you know, when I was running back and forth from media road to doing the interviews, just really nice people. I don't know where you could hold it, where you'd have more people attend. Uh, and I think USA wrestling probably feels like they should have brought more gear. Cause I think they sold everything that they had out there in about two hours. And, um, on a sidebar, the ice cream in Carver Hawkeye is really, really, really good. Might be the best in the country of wrestling venues. So, that's, yeah, that's overall, good, yeah. A plus, man. Notch. They did a great job. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think from what I heard from UWW and USA Wrestling, uh, sounds like uh, overwhelmingly positive stuff that, uh, you know, Quite possibly not the last time we see the World Cup in Iowa City. I, I would uh, venture to guess that uh, they'll be looking to bring it back in the future. Um, you know, I, I wrote this in a recap piece. You know, the trophy wasn't any lighter just because Iran wasn't there. The crowd, you know, wasn't any less into it because Russia wasn't it wasn't there. I mean, the crowd was into it. They they were they were loud, and uh, I don't know what it is about uh, wrestling fans in Carver Hawkeye Arena, but uh, you know, one one wrestling fan in Carver Hawkeye Arena, I've always said, can make about the same amount of noise as two basketball fans. So, um, they remind me of baseball fans here in St. Louis. Are really smart. You know, like, you know, like one of the I can't remember it was Taylor or Dake or somebody said these guys were smart enough to be yelling passive. You know, passive blue or I guess it was passive blue because America was red all weekend. You know, they're not yelling stalling. You know, like they understand those ter- the terminology all those little things like you're saying. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be a part of that. And, you know, um, UWW, I think was, or Iowa city, we're going to call they're running all these Twitter pictures, you know, during breaks. And it's just cool to see how many people brought their kids. You know, I, had, I was down there interviewing guys and these little kids are asking Snyder for a singlet. You know I mean? It's, it's really, really, it's, I, I don't know if there's, I keep using the word cool, but it's really, really, special to see what happens during those moments. And uh, I think America's got a lot of really good human beings on their team and they got a lot of really good wrestlers on their team. One of the things that uh, to me was, uh, I thought uh, one of the cool moments of the, the tournament or a couple things. Um, there were, there were times when the United States was wrestling and there would be something big that would happen on the opposite end of the mat or the opposite mat. 
and mm-hmm. and the crowd would, you know, the crowd would get into it. And so they, you know, I think there mm-hmm. there was they were paying attention to what was going on there. Then also, the third place duel, David, between Japan and Cuba, was awesome. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I I uh, you know kind of tongue in cheek wrote on Twitter, you know, the best third place World Cup duel that I've you know between Japan and Cuba that I've ever seen, and. Uh, you know, just, you know, Japan trying to have one of its best finishes in decades and Cuba, you know, same thing, trying to uh, finish in, you know, a podium spot there. And, you know, Takahashi wins at 57 kilos and, and he's getting the crowd into it. And, uh, you know, all the Japanese wrestlers from that point forward were really playing to the crowd. You know, they would celebrate and, you know, it's just, you know, we're not accustomed to that. Right. Agreed. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah, they seem to be having cool. a blast. They seem to be having a blast. It comes down to the last match. Um, if Cuba would have won in a shutout, it would have, you know, it would have been tied in matches and classification points. Uh, you know, but um, just a a fabulous environment for a third place duel with uh, neither one of the teams being from the United States. So, uh, so that was really cool and. Uh, yeah, just a uh, a uh, tremendous event. Um, I, I love the World Cup. I've been a huge World Cup fan for for years, um, just because of you know how good freestyle wrestling is now. You combine that with you know the format and the the national pride that goes along with it. Um, you know, certainly one of my favorite events of the year. I think the format, like you said, is a lot easier to follow. You can definitely see your guys. Like it's sort of the opposite of the chaos at Fargo you know, where it's almost impossible to find a, you know, find your guy. And, you know, I think the other thing is the team scoring is uh, interesting. You know, where the, the first criteria is if you win six out of 10, you're out, you know? So uh, I almost wonder if that'd be easier for, you know, colleges, you know, college scoring to follow. So it'd be interesting to see if they ever, you know, take a, take a page out of that book yeah although you know the one downside to that is you won six matches on criteria and you get teched in the other four uh you 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 know you know on the score on the stamp you know from technical points you get throttled and yet you win the duel right so um yeah there's upside and downside right yep yeah for sure so anyway well david we got a lot going on in the college world right now a lot of coaches on the move. We've had one of our busiest off seasons of, you know, for the coaching carousel. Uh, some news to uh, uh, dive into here. Um, Tim Flynn making the move from Edinburgh to West Virginia. Damian Hahn leaving his uh, 12-year post as an assistant at Cornell, going to run the show at South Dakota State. Um Angel Escobedo is in as the head coach at Indiana with Dwayne Goldman uh, retiring. Uh, those are the the main moves on the college head coaching front. Matt McDonough going to Wisconsin to join the staff there with Chris Bono and uh, John Reeder. Where do you want to dive in here? I, I, wherever you want. I mean, I guess maybe chronologically, I think the first one of those was Damian Hahn, right? Like that was last week. Oh uh, yeah, Monday. Uh, later on in the week. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, it, it, you know, Damien's a really, 
cool guy to talk to. He was on the, my show last year, and I really enjoyed talking to him. And we're not friends, but he was, you know, very, very accommodating. Uh, it'll be interesting. It's a complete culture shock, right? New York City to Brookings, South Dakota. And there's two other differences, challenges there that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Number one, he'll have to work back, go back to a 9.9 situation because Cornell doesn't have that. And then two, because there's 9.9, he's going to have to deal with APR. and They don't have to deal with the APR at Cornell. I'm sure he's more than capable of dealing with that, but it is, those are going to be things that are not old hat for him. Uh, It'll be also interesting to see how he fills out that staff. You know, if he, you know, brings a Mike Gray or if he, I'm sure he's got guys in mind, it'll be interesting to see how that, that works out. But the culture shock to me was like the number one thing. Like I imagine me moving from St. Louis to Brookings and, you know, St. Louis is a, pimple on the face that's new york city so you know i that's going to be a very very different gig for him don't you think well i mean yeah he's spent 12 years in ithaca um not the largest metropolis on the planet but uh um (laughs) but uh yeah i mean probably a little bit of an adjustment but also you know damien uh has spent some time out in the midwest too you know the five years he was at Minnesota. Now, granted, Minneapolis and Brookings are, are worlds apart too. But, uh, uh, you know, let's face it. I mean, you dive into uh, wrestling season. If, if you're a head coach, um, you know, does, does it really matter whether you're in, uh, you know, New York City or Brookings, South Dakota, um, when you're, you're in the practice room, you know, no. hour after right. hour, yeah. day after right. day in the season and, you know, breaking down film and, um, you know, on the phone with recruits or, you know, things of that matter. I mean, you know, imagine he's going to be full throttle on, on wrestling and, uh, you know, what's going on inside his room and, it, you know, all the, uh, things on the periphery that you have to do to be a head coach. Uh, so, so there's that, um, no, I, I, I do think he's walking into a tremendous uh, situation, though. I mean, you're set up right away. You got a you got a returning national champion at 133 pounds. Um, that's a good place to start. Um, you know, the foundation is there. You know, can can he uh, you know keep the members of the recruiting class on board? You know, Alex Lloyd, Peyton Rob. Um, you know, certainly those guys are are probably a little too young to remember uh, Damian Hahn as a golden gopher, you know, but they're, they're Minnesota guys that, uh, uh, you know, pinnacle guys that um, you, you think about the connection there with uh, Jared Lawrence and uh, Brandon Paulson. So there, there's familiarity with uh, Damian there with those guys, I'm sure. So uh, I, I think that that's helpful in, in establishing that, that relationship, uh, you know, if one hasn't already been built, um, so th- those guys are key, I think, in the in the long term future of South Dakota State wrestling as well. So uh, I, I think that you know, like I said, I mean, having the, those ties to Pinnacle is is a huge positive for Damian Hahn in in uh, recruiting to South Dakota State in the future as well. So uh, you know, I, I think a tremendous hire for South Dakota State, a good get, and uh, will be uh, to to your point, will be uh, pretty fascinating to see how he rounds out his staff there. For sure, for sure, I agree. As you move on, uh, Tim Flynn, yeah. Tim Flynn to West Virginia, um, pretty intriguing hire there, David. I mean, a guy that spent 21 years at Edinburgh and his name was bandied around uh, for other jobs here in recent years. 
Uh, but uh, we we talked about it in the past um, about what uh, possibilities you know for for West Virginia that that there are. I mean, you know, right across uh, what what are you about an hour and change from from Pittsburgh, um, about four hours I think from Cleveland. So uh, they're in a really good spot from a recruiting standpoint. Right, for sure. And it, it, again, we it felt like you know whoever has that job needs to do a better job of recruiting PA. And you know I was wrong about this. I thought it was going to be Terry Colot, and it wasn't. Uh, it, Tim Flynn's always been really you know nice to me and my family, and more importantly, he's recruited PA and and he's won. It's interesting. The one thing I I've heard a lot of people say, well, now that he's got more support and resources, I guess I've always thought Edinburgh had really good support since Bruce Baumgartner was the athletic director there. But I guess that's just an assumption I made. I always assumed they had a 9.9 and those kind of things. Maybe that's not true, but uh, I, I also hope that this doesn't mean, you know, I hope Edinburgh's, you know, the wrestling program is strong there and there's nothing, you know, they need to get a good strong guy in there. Certainly with a guy like Baumgartner as the AD, I think that job would be attractive as well. It'll be interesting, like all these schools, like, you know, who can save the recruiting class, who can keep the current guys on board. I mean, Flynn does have a returning All-American at 125 in Moise. So, you know, the cupboard's not completely bare there. Uh, you know, I got, you know, a couple friends that have, you know, family members there. And, you know, one of the kids from St. Louis was a big recruit there. So it's kind of interesting, you know, I'm, I'm watching that with a little different perspective to see how that'll all shake out. Anything else uh, on your mind about West Virginia, Tim Flynn? It, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like it's a lot, a lot of these stories, like people do stuff afterwards, like, yeah, gosh, that's, that was smart. You know? So uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I a couple years ago, you would know the year you're way better historically when, you know, they got on the, the podium, uh, you know, guy, I think had to have been runaway coach of the year that year, probably. But I mean, it shows he can do it. And I think, it's, I think the biggest thing it shows West Virginia is really committed to having a good wrestling program. Right. And I think they showed that when they hired Sammy, they, you know, they hired a, a big name guy and they went after it and it just didn't work out. Um, but I don't think anybody can question whether or not West Virginia wants to be good at wrestling. And I think that's good for the wrestling community to, to feel comfortable with that part for sure. Big 10, big time shakeup in the coaching ranks. I mean, you think about, uh, where things were a couple years back and uh, some of the guys that are no longer coaches now in the conference. I mean, just guys that have been part of that conference for so long, you know, now uh, Jay Robinson uh, no longer in the conference, Barry Davis, no longer a head coach in the conference. Now Dwayne Goldman, no longer a head coach in the conference. Uh, Angel Escobedo stepping in. That one surprised you, David, the timing of it. I'm not a lawyer. I just thought they, I thought they had to open the job up to the public. Uh, you know, so I was surprised by that. Uh, I mean, Angel makes sense as the hire I actually sat with Kevin Jackson and, you know, he was talking about how, you know, the world works in mysterious ways, you know, where if he doesn't leave Iowa state, Escobedo doesn't leave Iowa state. He's not on staff at Indiana. And this whole thing probably plays out in a very different way. Uh, everybody I know that's talked to Angel thinks the world of him. I mean, I've only had like a few small chit chat conversations with him. 
always been super polite. And I think, you know, Indiana is like a pretty dang good state in high school for no other reason. You can sort out who's good there pretty quickly because it's a one class state. So, you know, if he can, st- and we've seen really good kids come out of there and they're not staying at Indiana, you know, like Nick Lee, Joe Lee, Brayton Lee, you know, Mason Paris, like these kind of guys, there's more kids that I can't think of right now, but just there's talent there. You know, it may not be Pennsylvania, but it, there's talent. So if he can yeah. keep those guys in state and develop them, that alone feels like it would be an immediate improvement, right? Yeah, and I think uh, probably Angel's got an interesting perspective, right? Because you look at uh, all the top flight guys that have come through there in the last, oh, let's say 20 years or so. He was one of the rare ones who stayed and became a Hoosier. And you, you think about yeah. it, uh, Leroy Vega, you know, going to Minnesota where he's a three-time All-American and, and you know, you know that's back 20-plus uh, years ago. But uh, uh, the Surtis brothers – you know, I, I don't right. know that, that Indiana was ever really in play to land either one of those those guys. And, you know, as you mentioned, the recent run here has been tremendous. Uh, some of the guys that have come out of that state um, really highly credentialed. And, and uh, yeah, that will be, I think, you know, probably priority number one for Angel Escobedo is finding ways to, to at least get in the race for those guys and then the more that you're in the race for, uh, you certainly your odds of landing one or two or more of them uh, increase. And then, then uh, all of a sudden you start making it a, a attractive option for in-state kids where uh, you know they want to stay at home. You said it very, very succinctly last week. You sell hope or you sell results. So he's going to be selling hope, you know, till they get results. But he's a guy that had results at that school. Uh, you know, I had a chance to visit with Mike Coletta this weekend, you know, same sort of sentiment where, you know, he only ever wanted to go to Illinois, you know, like, I think the thing is kids are different now. There's social media, there's all this stuff like, you know, you have to work in a different way to get these kids that are from that state to want to stay there. And once you do, it's again, like, you know, I, I look at this from like a Brian Smith perspective because, I watched what he did here in Missouri and he changed it where the good kids wanted to stay. Like the default was to stay, not to leave. And once you've created that environment, that mentality, it changes. It, it, it's never easy. Recruiting is never easy, but it's, it's easier or less difficult. So uh, that's the first thing they have to do is just change the perception, you know, where, like you said, if I'm an athletic director and I know enough to know there's these big kids, you know, big recruits coming out of our state and we're not, our school isn't even on the short list. That's the problem. If you're on the short list enough, like you said, you're going to eventually hit. If you're not even in the final three or four on any of the top 10 kids coming out of your state, that's probably where it makes sense to make a change. Well, speaking of making a change, there are a lot of uh, potential transfers in the college right. wrestling market right now. And uh, where do you want to start with that, David? What do you want to dive into with those guys? I mean, there's uh, some difference makers out there, some guys that have been on the podium, some guys that have been very close to being on the podium. Right. It's going to well, be, be interesting to follow this, right? Austin DeSanto. and Yeah, we saw Austin DeSanto and Sedarian Perry up in Iowa City this weekend. And, you know, I think there's a couple of social media pictures with DeSanto sitting with Spencer Lee. So, 
I think a lot of people think Iowa's in the clubhouse on at least one of those guys, leader in the clubhouse on one of those guys. And DeSanto especially feels like he's a good fit in their lineup. You know, Sedarian Perry's at a weight where they have some good guys with Murin and Vince Turk and those Carter Happel. So I don't know that he's as much of a need. And it always is. I always feel bad for kids. This is a little situ, different situation, but like the Eastern Michigan kids, you know, like if a kid signed with West Virginia for, the, you know, the purpose of going to Sammy or a kid that signed with South Dakota State for wrestling for Bono, yeah, they get their release probably, but the same money isn't available. And I think that's, I feel like that's really unfair to the kids, you know, because schools are generally spent up by now. People aren't leave, you know, have a scholarship, a scholarship and a half hanging out. You know, it's, it's not what they do. So if DeSanto went to Iowa, how good does that make them, Andy, in your mind? Makes them really, really good for 2020, I think. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you look up and down the lineup, um, right? I mean, Spencer, you know, DeSanto, and, and what does he do when he's in that environment and you're training with not just Spencer, but uh, Corey Clark, Thomas Gilman. Um, you know, you got Tom and Terry putting their hands on you as right. well. Um, you, you know, then you got the 41 pounders up above you and 49 and start looking at the, at the guys you mentioned at uh, 41 and Lugo. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, nobody's talking about Jaron Glosser, but, um, you know, people in and around that program really like what they've seen from him. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't rule him out as a guy that could potentially crack that lineup at, uh, or at least, you know, certainly push Pat Lugo at 149 pounds. Um, Kemmer or Marinelli, you know, whatever 174 looks like, they need to uh, need to ramp that up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think they feel like they can get more out of that, that weight class as well. But, uh, you know, then, then certainly looking at, at how the upper weights shake out, um, you know, with, with Wilkie and Warner and then uh, stole back. It's uh, certainly you look at uh, the teams behind Penn State coming back next year, and, and I think, you know, probably a lot of people are going to tab Iowa as the number two team, you know, starting next year, I, I, I would guess. I, I don't know what your rankings look like uh, to this point, David. We, but um, it's We went through it. A buddy of mine walked through it just kind of range, you know, like not, you know, specific numbers but Iowa Ohio State and weirdly Oklahoma State all fell like between 75 and 85 points it was just you know it's kind of like like Jacob Warner do you rank him based on beating Nicholas or do you rank him based on losing Oklahoma you know because it's a big difference right um you know like what do you do at Oklahoma State like Joe Smith's a returning All-American Gio Martinez is a returning All-American what do you do with guys that bump up? Like if you rank a Cade Brock at 41, you know, those kind of things. But those three teams all feel like, you know, they're in the same range. And then there's a bunch of teams that feel like they're in that next range. And Cornell feels like the one team that could break out of that range, just, you know, with an Arujao and maybe a Freddie Stroker there for the whole season. And, and, and you know, Darmstead placed, he placed, but he placed a lot lower than where most of us had him ranked all year. But yeah, I feel like, you know, like you said, Iowa would, is going to be really good next year anyway. You know, if they get DeSanto with the right mindset, um, they'd be really, really good. Uh, and, it, and, you know, Iowa's sort of always been the Darth Vader of wrestling, you know, where a lot of people love them or hate them. 
And, you know, with how DeSanto acted at Nationals, if he went in there, I, I think he'd almost fit in culturally. I think he wouldn't mind being that guy, you know, wearing that singlet. So it, it makes for very, very interesting message board chatter and that kind of stuff for sure. Yeah, so uh, some potential uh, other guys on the move as well. Um, and then Anthony Ashnault getting his sixth year. That's uh, big for Rutgers. Really big for Rutgers. Yeah, he can be their first four-time All-American, right? I think I think I read that that you know he's a three-timer with a chance to, and it sounds like he's going to go up to one forty-one, right? One forty-nine or forty-nine rather. Uh, yeah, forty-nine from forty-one. Sorry, said it wrong. So and that weight thins out a little bit more. You know, forty-one's loaded. Obviously, well, wait, Yanni goes. You know, changes a lot of that. But forty-nine, there's I think there's only three or four returning All-Americans for forty. One, there's like seven, and then you have like a Kate Brock moving up and a Mitch McKee moving up and that kind of stuff. So it feels a lot deeper there. So, yeah. And then the two kids from Central Michigan have gotten releases, right? Justin Oliver and Mason Smith. And Oliver placed a couple years ago, and Mason Smith's a Midlands winner. Um, have you heard anything about whether those guys are a package deal or they just both happen to get their releases at the same time? Yeah, I don't know. Well, they're guys that can make a difference for the right program. Absolutely. You know, I mean, for sure. You know, it, it, I think everybody buys into if you go to a better program, you get better. And generally that's true. But, like, it doesn't happen 100% of the time. Like, Tayshon Campbell plays basically exactly where he did it with Pitt. So, you know, sometimes it's more kid-specific. That's for sure. So, and then Devin Skatza leaving Indiana. And uh, there's, you know, those kind of things. So there's, pro you know, those kids all on the move. You know, Sedarian Perry could make a big difference for a program too. You know, we kind of skipped over him, but the right program, he could make a big difference. And, you know, it's kind of like Eastern Michigan's 184-pounder just transferred to Oklahoma. So, you know, that stuff's happening. Even if they can save the program, it's not going to really – there's already going to be damage that's going to be hard to, you know, to undo for sure. You think about Sedarian Perry too. I mean, how much confidence did that guy derive just from the role that he got on at NCAAs? You know, he comes in with a losing record, finishes with a losing record, but uh, you know, finds a way to get on the podium this year. And and what does that do for the guy's career long term? Right. He seems like a very high ceiling kind of kid, right? Like, you know, he was injured during the year. I mean, you know he obviously wasn't consistently great or even consistently good if he was sub 500, but his ceiling and, you know, people love to recruit on potential. I think it's one of the things you have to recruit on and his potential is really high. So, yeah. you know, if you get him in a, in a structure where like you mentioned the DeSanto thing with training partners, the Perry's another guy with training partners can make a big difference. Yeah. Wins over uh, Josh Alber and Ryan Deal and Mike Carr at the big, or at the NCAA championships to uh, get himself uh, onto the podium in Cleveland. Anything else this week, David? Yes, yeah, so he didn't have he did uh Matt McDonough right to Wisconsin. Yeah, we mentioned that. So, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. We mentioned so, it, but uh um good gift for Wisconsin. Yeah, it is. Very interesting staff like guys you know from multiple programs like that's kind of cool um the rumor is that josh moore is the uh leader in the clubhouse at cleveland state 
And then, you know, there hasn't been a lot of buzz. I talked to a bunch of people about Little Rock, but not a lot there. So as far as them getting closer to a decision from what I'm hearing. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? For it being the off season, I guess there always is. Yeah. Never stops, man. It never <laughs> stops. So we just go from one season to the next, right? Yeah, so. it's a very good point for sure. Well, David, anything else this week? Uh, well, Cody Sanderson uh, was just on on Matt Chat, and I think that went up yesterday. And I'm going to interview Frank Papalizio. He's running um, some really cool events. He's doing this international event. I finally had a chance to break bread with him. So I'm going to interview him tomorrow, and it'll, I'm sure it'll come out next week or next weekend. And then uh, I had a chance to visit with Mike Powell with Beat the Street Chicago and uh, was able to be of some minor assistance on some things. So um, I'm going to be a part of their, their board membership at, at Chicago beat the streets. And I'm really proud of what those guys are doing and, and really proud to be a small part of that. It's, uh, you know, with some of the charitable work and I'm able to do these, what these guys are doing is really cool. So it's, it means a lot to me that they thought enough of me to, to add me to that board. I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, good stuff, David. Thank you as always for your time and insight. Always enjoy it, Andy. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mirakitani. For David Mirakitani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Thank you for giving us your time. 